making this beautiful thing and um, they ended up getting back in the truck and and everybody's fine um, but I thought it was just so odd that uh, not odd but it was fun fun and funny and and ridiculous um, absurd I don't know what the word is that we went out there to find the Las Vegas piece we did that long drive you know lots of snacks you get ready for it a week in advance you sign the release and you go out there and we've got all the tools that we need and we don't find it. I don't think we ever found it. And and that's now, not I a hear, surprise, I, I right? Hear that, I hear that we did, but we were with Paula, who was running the drone, uh-huh. and Paula was just, well, maybe, well, maybe. Yeah, looking for the lines and like where the, the creosote might have been newer. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Welcome to the Art Box, and we have Alicia Curlin. And Alicia, you are the director of the Marjorie Barrett Museum of Art at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Yes, I am. I'm lucky. <laughs> well, you are. And, you know, I, this is my second time here, and I'm just amazed. It is beautiful. This is fantastic. And my son and his girlfriend, who were going to come today, didn't. And I'm like, I text him. Shame on you. You should have been here. You're really missing out. You can put them on the phone with me, and I'll convince them that art is so important, and they should be here tonight. You know? Uh, uh, yeah, because yeah. he could walk, be walking over to see Scrambled Eggs tonight with me. And there's Mariachi. And Mariachi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're lost, huh? Run by Manny, who is on, on our team. So it's a small world. Yeah, and Leanne mm-hmm. setting me up for a podcast with him. Oh, awesome. So, Alicia, mm-hmm. you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, anything? Do I just, like, throw a dart into the air and, and land on something? I'll go with what is most present in my mind today, which is, you know, we have this opening tonight, and I'm thinking about everybody who will come, uh, many different facets of the art community and students, faculty, visitors, maybe in from out of town, we're going to come together and try to connect through art. Um, one of the things that I love about art is we can disagree and talk, right? It's one of the last places uh, in the world where we can have that. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think about an artist or a curator. They have their intentions, right? But then there's something that happens in that museum space where someone comes in and they look at the work and they bring their own connotations and their own history. And somewhere between what the viewer sees and what the maker or curator is intending to do is where the meaning happens. And there's many different meanings to a work, maybe not unlimited, but there's, you know, maybe 10, right, that we could all agree on or not. And I love those disagreements. You know, when somebody comes up to me and they say they don't like something, we end up having a better conversation than if they were, I like it. So that's ha- that's what got me into art. Um, I just, I like it probably means they didn't look at it. Yeah, yeah, or maybe they don't have the time or the language. When I first started, I wasn't the director. I came and I was the part-time collections manager, office manager. I started doing program, program programming and everything here. And we had just reopened as an art museum, right? And so... About 10 years ago, I heard. Yeah, about like 10 that. years ago, yeah. I can't believe that. Um, and what I noticed right away is that people from Vegas have a really sophisticated way of thinking about separate things, things that don't 
relate or don't seem to relate and putting those things together, right? They have a really easy way of being able to be comfortable with that. And I think about Las Vegas having the strip, which is if you break that down, like different things next to each other, right? Um, nothing makes sense. And then we're next to this incredible desert. And, you know, there's so many things that you could talk about. So people are like, I don't know. Yeah, I get it. And so it's really fun to talk about local talk about art with local Las Vegans. I was supposed to go back to Brooklyn when I came out here as a temp job before I became, sorry, before I became uh, the collections manager. <laughs> I was here for eight weeks to teach and I was the artist in residence. Now I've been here for over 10 years, so you can guess what happened. I fell in love with Las Vegas, the area, the desert. Talking about art here is so fun. And I called everybody back in New York and Brooklyn. I said, I'm not coming back. And they said, good, well, your your bike was stolen. So <laughs> it's convenient. And so to to bring it back is, is like I got into art because of the multiple ways that we can get to a piece or to an idea and how there could be an an multiple answers for the same process. And that to me was so abstract and beautiful. I also like the idea of working on, you know, your own project, right? There is no formula. If there is a formula, there's there's so much more on the other side of the equal sign. And here in yes, Vegas, there yeah, is. there you is, right? <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. I love it. And I love when people come in to this art museum and it's it's it happens a lot. And they've never stood in front of an art piece. They've never been to an art museum. And they come in and they ask, like, where to get tickets or do they have to sign in? And they walk in to the museum and it's got these huge ceilings with this incredible labyrinth ceiling tile thing. And it has, like, the glowing gold basketball floors. The building used to be a basketball court. And they go in and they, it's like, I've seen people have that thing when you see a piece of artwork and you cry or you laugh or it's it's a transformative experience. I just love being able to witness that. I love being able to say that there's no right way to look at art. It doesn't have to be a certain way. You don't have to behave a certain way. Please don't touch the work. But, you know, some people think of like art museums as maybe elitist places. A lot of people might not feel like they belong oh, I only, I don't know anything about art. I only know how to draw a stick figure. Well, then we can have a conversation about that. Yeah. Um, so I guess little Alicia was very much into Mr. Rogers. So I'm always very thankful of how people observe the world. And when they talk about what they see in the museum, that is like my greatest love. And then, you know, as an executive director, I'm a little bit, I don't really fit maybe the idea or mold of what a director might do or how they might look or what they say. And that's okay. You know, it's taken me a long time to get there. Trained as an artist. I have an MFA in painting. I had a career in New York. I'm a mother now. I have a seven-year-old girl. And I work this job. And I also make art. The job leaks into the art if I'm doing a good job. <laughs> so. What medium? I was a painter. Well, like I say was, because I made very large oil paintings. They were they were big, <laughs> and they usually had something floating in sort of a watery or deserty ground. Now, deserty, even when you're in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah. I had never been out here. I didn't know what a desert looked like. But if you imagine something that is like kind of watery or there's an expanse, I would play solitaire, for example, when I didn't know what to do. And I often lost, right? And I'm telling this because I made solitaire paintings. I would lose the game, and then I would cheat. And I thought that was hilarious. So, <laughs> And it related to art in some ways. So I started making these failed solitaire games. And I remember someone came into my studio. They liked it, and they put me into a big show. Those cards were like floating over water or floating over the desert. People liked those. And so I've done many other things, but that those are probably what I was known for. You're going to share them with us, right? <laughs> I can. To, to put on your page? Sure, yeah, okay. yeah. And I'm I'm working on other things, too, now. Like, I did a series of lunch bags for my daughter over the pandemic, and it was a diary of the pandemic through, a, you know, a five-, six-year-old child. And I, I did that not knowing it was going to be art. 
Um, that's the most exciting thing. Like I played solitaire. I never knew that that would become subject of my art. And I also have a studio close to campus where I arrange things and let the wind blow it around like tumbleweeds. But I'm not really ready to talk about that project yet. Okay. <laughs> so I shouldn't ask you about your studio? I, you, I could talk about my uh, studio. Is, your, is yeah. your studio at home or? It was. I, uh, you know, one of my bios said that I, um, work at home from my kitchen table, which I did. I painted on junk mail. Um, <laughs> uh, and now I have a, a studio house with a friend of mine, and it's a great place to meet uh, with people from the community. I take off my director hat. I just have strange little projects that have nothing to do with selling artwork that I'm working on there, and it's just a really fun place. We call it Lulu because it's on Lulu Avenue. Okay. Yeah. That's great. We're going to get pictures of that. Mm-hmm. I can give you pictures of whatever you want. Okay. Yeah, of the yeah, well, we, tumbleweed we, in the back yeah. of the studio. Uh, we, we build you a page. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's like there's the thing the the you know giving me a giving. Oh, sorry. There's a the giving the speech at like an opening, which you'll see just very few like a few words tonight. Pictures of that. Pictures of installing the work. You know, I can I can give you just a little little bit of everything if you'd like. Okay. Well, it's not what I like. It's yeah. what you would like on oh, your page. Oh, awesome. See, that is great. So, but you're all over the internet anyway, so this uh, will probably just yeah. be a, a penny <laughs> anything. But you get to design this. So. That's really cool. Well, a lot of people design it. They don't, um, you know, most people don't really give you that freedom. So back to Mr. Rogers, he said that a person can be many things at once, right? So the chance to talk about myself, who I am as an artist or mother, and how that impacts my role as the director is is really rare. So thank you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> you can be many things. Yeah. And I, I think about looking at a piece of art and what I think, but what I think might change oh within the time within the time I'm standing there. Wow, I love that. Yeah. And then when you get to talk to the artist. I, I think that's one of the things we don't do in Mesquite is we don't make our artists available. Mm. And I think we should have our artists there because when I talk to an artist and I'm like, then I get to understand a little bit. I may not agree with them. Mm-hmm. How bad is that of me? I don't agree with the artist of what they. I just think that's what great. They did. <laughs> I think that's great. Well, like and the idea of meaning, right? I mean, they could tell you I I put gesso on the canvas and then I painted with this certain material and I made a picture of a squirrel. <laughs> you know, we could describe what we see, like the obvious. Um, but when it comes to interpretation. I don't, I don't think that disagreeing with the artist is wrong at all. I think that's a wonderful thing, and an artist can learn a lot about themselves and other people. Well, then I can disagree with myself. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that, I love that you said that, that you can change your mind within the three minutes you are in the space with an artwork. It's allowed? Yeah, I think that's cool. You know, it, it's, you know we're not the same all the time. The other thing I think about that with, we have an art teacher at the high school in Mesquite, and he is an amazing human being. He just really is. But he talks about um, the five, the 10, and the 15-foot rule. I think that as I get closer or further, mm. I can have different opinions of the art as well. Absolutely. And I remember like a professor saying once, that if a piece looked good in a photograph, we're talking like a sculpture or a painting, can't quite trust that. If it looks better in the photograph than in person, we can question that. If it looks, if you go to it and it looks great far away, but there's something that draws you in to get closer than you've succeeded. I don't think about success or doing things right with art, but it reminded me of that five, 10, 15 yeah. rule that you mentioned. What do you hope to express with your art? I mean, do you have a message? Mm. What do you want people to see? And we could go to the cards. Right. I mean, um, I know what you were trying to express versus what you wanted people to see. Mm -hmm. I, when I think of art, I, it's not like journalism where you're trying to relay information or convince someone of your, your position, right? Um, so when I think about what I want to directly communicate that I get like kind of scared <laughs> to nail it down. But I think I... What I'm ultimately looking for with the work is connection. 
I think I have an odd sense of humor, so sometimes letting that play out with my work gives me, entertains me, you know, and I think others might find it funny. But ultimately, I think, here, I'll give you an example. When I was making my daughter's paper bag drawings in the morning, I had five minutes, and they were rushed and with spelling errors and such, and my daughter would tell me what to draw. She'd say, draw our cat eating messily, you know, like eating like Cookie Monster. And so I'd have to draw our little calico cat, get that done. Her um, father would be like making the lunch, da, 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 da. And I would send it with her to the preschool. (laughs) And once a teacher came up to me, one of the preschool teachers came up to me and said, I love your artwork. And I was like, how does she know that I'm an artist? How does she know? And she was talking about the lunch bags and I blushed so big. When someone talks about the work, especially if people write, take the time to write about art, I think that is such a compliment. And that happens here at the museum. When someone will write about a show that we have here or focus on one piece that's hanging in the museum and they give their opinion about it or what they see, what they feel from it, I love that so much. I mean, not everybody needs that. Some people need sales. Some people don't care about the viewer at all. But I really love hearing how people interpret the work or how they connect to it. So, Well, one of the things you don't do, you don't sell any art here. You know? There's, yeah. not, even, there's not even a gift shop. At Oh, at the museum? At the museum. And we don't even sell tickets. You don't even sell tickets. Yeah. I think people have asked me, well, why don't you charge, you know, to make money for the museum? And I think, you know, that is against our core mission to provide access. If you come during the week, you will have to pay for parking for a free museum. But paying is definitely a barrier. If you have to pay $25 per person and you have a family of five, that's super expensive. You know, it it keeps people away. Well, I love it here because it's it's just all about the art. Parking and art. Parking and art, yeah. yeah. Yeah, every time I go on the radio, a caller calls in and will ask about the parking. You know what? That's okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. I, it's okay. this, I don't want this to be a radio. No, no, no. Um, it's just kind of a funny thing. I think universities have that problem because more and more university art museums are serving the public and the community outside of the UNLV or the, the, the university community more and more. And so it is something that, that we have to think about. You know, how do you access that? I love when people come here for the first time on a school bus or, or wherever because it might also be their first time visiting a university. If someone comes and they feel like they belong, that it was easy to get here, that's one more step towards feeling like you belong in higher ed. Yeah, I forgot what we were focusing on. <laughs> that's okay, so did I. <laughs> Because I had to bring up parking. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. So at least do you have any other interest besides your daughter and lunch bags? Lunch bags, daughters. Uh, my daughter, I love sticker collections. I love to play Uno. I'm a huge gardener. If I could spend eight hours at the museum and 12 hours in my garden and another eight at in my art studio in one day, I would do that. Yeah, we all need 40-hour days. <laughs> yeah. Or like a clone of ourselves, and then we check in at the end of the day. <laughs> How'd it go? <laughs> that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, Actually, yeah. That's, that would be a painting. Right, right. What, I, what would it look like <laughs> at the end of the day when Alicia comes in from the garden, Alicia comes in from the museum, mm-hmm. and Alicia comes in from the studio? So one would be covered in paint, one would be covered yeah. in dirt, and one would be gone. Ah. <laughs> you know which one would be gone. Ah, ah. Well, you know, oh, I forgot to respond to them, or oh, you know, well, we gotta we gotta reschedule that. I love all parts of who I am and and what I do here in Las Vegas. It's it's why I moved here and I, I call it home. I do love gardening. It's hard to do so in Las Vegas. Yeah, do you think we? Yeah. We were from Maryland. Oh, no. And yeah, yeah. then we moved out to Colorado. There was no gardening there. We moved to Florida. We weren't successful, and we moved here, and we don't even try it. So mm-hmm. you're a hero in my book if you're gardening in I Las Vegas. I have some Vegas. trees. I have, some ca- I have a lot of cactus. I have a lot of succulents and a few things that are good in the heat. I put up shade sails. I obviously don't have an HOA. 
shade sails and all kinds of things to battle the direct sun. And I love that my front, it's, this is in my front yard. I love that when I garden, my neighbors actually come out. I get to know the, the mailman, right? I know the sanitation truck driver's names. And I just love how being out in your front yard, like gardening has me meeting one of my very good friends, Jose Antonio, and another Melanie, who is 12 and Jose Antonio is nine. They help me in my garden. They tell me about school. So gardening is very social. I help, I connect to people. My job at the museum allows me to ke- connect to people in a different way. Um, and also my art, it's a little bit slower, <laughs> but it helps me connect to people also. Oh, that's heartening. Yeah. So out front meeting people. Yeah. And, oh, and, and I, I lived in this house. Instead of sending them emails. Right. You actually talk to people. Oh, my gosh. I sent my neighbors across the street, the two little kids, a letter once. <laughs> and it went through the USPS all the way through and, and landed in their mailbox. And it was the first letter they had ever received. And they ran over to tell me they got it. <laughs> but they hadn't opened it yet. So, yeah, I I don't know. I, lo- I think Las Vegas is very friendly. And I found home here and community, which is kind of funny because I I moved around a lot. I didn't have like, you know, a solid community or place that took time to build up, right? And it's it's been in Las Vegas that that has happened. When did you move from Brooklyn? How old were you? I came here in 2012. I was about, yeah, I was 30 years old. Now I'm 41. Oh, you're still a baby. (laughs) I'm 41 now. And a lot has happened between 30-year-old me and now. You know, I have a kid. I have this big, fancy, you know, serious, very serious job. I own a home. I found out who I am here. I have some chosen family here that I am so thankful for. People think, you know, they say, well, it is. They say Las Vegas is transient. But there are people who live here. There are a lot of people who live here. And when people say that it's transient or that the city is made up of facades, it makes me a little itchy, you know, in a negative way, right? If they they speak about it that way, because I challenge them to find a place that compares to and is like Las Vegas. It's a sincere and completely original place, even though it has Italy and New York, New York, roller coaster going around and it's it's an incredible places that other people go to Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a great place and i i think you know they call brooklyn a melting pot or you know new york but a difference that i saw is that in brooklyn i could find people who were like me right and we we sit around a room or we go out and we nod at each other we in agreement but when i came out to las vegas defining artwork like what is art it wasn't a room full of people agreeing with me and we got to have like a real discussion and this happens every day at my job i bet it does yeah and you know one i won't say their name but someone kind of um snooty in new york said isn't it hard to to like have to redefine art every day and i was like no it's a privilege it's a privilege it's super exciting so and i have a spectrum of friends right people that I know. I've met so many good people here. But as we learned from Kim Stringfellow, who does the Mojave Project, have you heard of her? She did a show here, and she travels all around to rural areas in the Mojave. That includes Nevada. And there are all kinds of people who live in the desert. And if you go to her Mojave Project website, you can learn that there's artists in minor towns and people who have stories that you wouldn't believe And she does a great job of going to these places, even the politics are different or or what you believe is different and gathering these stories. I grew up in the South, all over the South, and you have an idea of what like rural Tennessee looks like. And some of it's true, but there's a lot of different people living there. We have, um, I just went to a a writer's workshop. If you've ever heard of Tory House Press, 
Mm. I was in the fiction curriculum. And one of the ladies that was in my class there, it was just a couple of days, she runs the bookmobiles in New <gasps> Oh my gosh, New those Mexico. are amazing. Wow. And stories, we're going to get her on a podcast. But can you imagine the story she has from going to all the little rural towns in New Mexico? Oh, if I have if I have those clones, you know, or you know, a second a second career, that sounds like where I'd want to be. Yeah, that would uh, sound fun. Yeah, it does. Getting yeah. to talk to people, yeah, and, like and a mobile art art bus or uh, mobile libraries. I love those things. I have a friend who moved from Brooklyn. He was quite miserable, <laughs> art handling, and started up a art studio and workshop place called Dot and Line. Dot and Line and. Pittsburgh and it is doing so well and it's not like any other place him and his wife run it and I look at that and I'm thinking like wow you know you you could really do something special in a place like Pittsburgh or Vegas or anywhere right and do something new he he has the studio above an ice cream shop which I think is super smart (laughs) and he's he was able to quit his job and his wife will be able to quit her job teaching in the school system there. Really, um, my eyes are getting really big because not many people make a living out of art. Yeah, and so one of the things he does is he does the demos. And, you know, if they're they're doing, like, uh, still lifes, he'll do that and then sell it for low prices to raise money for, for scholarships for kids who can't afford the classes. And, you know, I feel like we've done a lot of that here at the museum. Oh, have you really? Yeah, the art, what's the other, the art thing you have out there? Oh my there? gosh, the art bar is my the, favorite. The art bar. Yeah. Yeah, because Deanne mentioned that in her, actually she said that's what got her going in art. Is that what she said? That's what she said. Oh. Hers was a really good little short podcast. I am not surprised. Deanne is a prolific artist. Uh, one of the best art writers in town, gives incredible tours, does all of our social media, uh, a thoughtful person with incredibly dry humor. I've worked with her for almost a decade, and I just, I adore, I adore how she talks about art. I didn't know that the art bar, art bar started out her career in art. That's what she said. Wow. Yeah, the art bar. And, we, and I wrote we, down when I was editing it the other night, I wrote a note for when I came down here to ask about the I started doing that the the area was for tortoises or like a dig space it used to have sand in there and then when we became an art museum and over time it just was this odd circular thing in the lobby that describes it yeah it's like a half circle with like the brick that doesn't quite match the tile and it just you know what do we put there I love found objects and I don't like to throw things away, um, especially if they're too good to throw away, not quite good enough to keep. We, I would donate things, and people would donate things to the art bar. Um, Leanne, you know, and others would arrange them by the rainbow or, or other other ways. And then people, not just kids, would come in and make art with hot glue or, or whatever we had. And I made sure to put real art materials there. It wasn't just the kitty watercolors, you know. And they would be able to hang up their piece and that wall would be covered and when I did that I was able to talk to my office was there I was able to talk to each and every person who participated and engage with them and I saw like a professor here in political science I saw her kid grow up you know she's she's a big kid now but she was two years old when she made her first artwork there and so yeah it's it's that's really cool to hear that DK started making work there and it makes sense because she works with found objects yes we yeah went through, we went through all that the bottle caps yeah walking to work yeah. and picking up bottle caps and and thinking about all the things with the bottle caps i love it oh, yeah, i do too actually i'm trying to get her we have a thing called brown bag Ooh. Um, that we do once a month and i'm the brown bag chair so i have an opening for may and i'm like come up and do the brown bag at our art gallery yeah, and you can oh, talk please. about you can talk about found art, and so she's thinking about it. She said she's got to get a ride, or because her they only have one vehicle. Yeah, she's someone who travels a lot to see art. Is very involved in the local community, like uh, writes about art, uh, not only here but for settlers and nomads. Edits our our publication that we just started. I love the name. It's called Dry Heat. 
It's a dry heat. It's yeah. a dr- but it's a dry heat. And um, you garden in the dry heat. <laughs> you got You're my hero. You got to get a good hat. That's what it's all about. You know, a good hat and something with electrolytes. Yeah. Where's uh, your hat today? You know, it's there's an opening, so I didn't want to have hat hair. <laughs> And for our listeners, when I met Alicia, we were out on a really, really cold day doing some scouting for this exhibit, and she had on, was it a brand new hat? I had to, I, my desert hat was stepped on by my daughter, and it was in the car, and so I went to, I had, it was an emergency, I had to find a desert hat. And it was a fine hat. It's a gray hat, it's a great hat, I got it from Cowtown Boots. And it's a wonderful Western store, and they happen to have really good sun hats, yeah. desert hats. Yeah, I remember that conversation. <laughs> I'll give you that photo, too. Well, well, and it came around because I was, we were going to the, we got a grant from the Nevada Humanities to go to the 38th Cowboy Poetry um, <laughs> gathering in Elko. And my partner, my podcast partner, Linda, and I were both fervorously looking for hats and you had a hat and i'm like oh i want that hat <laughs> go to cowtown boots it's around oh, the corner no, i got i got my hat <laughs> okay good <laughs> i loved that trip and i got to meet you and and see rayette and katie doing their thing it was uh, a couple of very tough awesome brilliant women driving us through the desert and the conversations were wonderful um it was it was wild i loved that i want to do that every day for my job <laughs> Every day is different. Yes, it is. Depends on the show that we have. So let me ask you this. If you could go back in time in the art world, mm-hmm. where would you go and why? Back in time in the art world. Like art history or? Yeah, art history. Or... Hmm. Back in time in the art world. I really like where we are now. I'd be surprised how many people answer just what you did. Really? I like where we're at now. Well, you know, it. it I also, okay, I'll be honest. The first thing I thought of was like minimalism in the 60s and it being a boys club, right? And there was, you know, there were some really amazing artists making art during that time that weren't highlighted as much as, say, Donald Judd. And Truett, for example. She made minimal sculptures, but they were hand-painted. They weren't manufactured like Donald Judd's. They might m- evoke like like a fence post or something, not just a pure form, but something with like meat to it, right? I would like to go back to like um, the 70s, 60s, 70s to meet this artist, Paul Tech. He would make these resin sculptures and put them in very minimal plexi boxes, literally putting like, not literally, but like commenting that the body needed to get back into art. And I remember when I went to go see his show at the Whitney, I thought I was going to see these things. And I, you know, like I walk in, like I know everything. He had an entire other body of work that the art world sort of ignored at the time that I just, I love so much. It changed, it changed what I made, how I thought about art. I had that moment that sometimes people have in our museum where I cried, I laughed, I had to take a break. <laughs> so Paul Tech, if you ever get a chance, uh, the show was called Diver. I love those meat sculptures, but you know, he, he also, he made so much more. Now, now he's very popular, but when he was working and he changed what he made, because we always change, right? He no longer had a big old career. And so I guess if you say going back in, into history, it would be maybe to meet, meet Paul Tech or meet Ann Truitt <laughs> or be involved in the, maybe not in the art history canon, but maybe on the, on the tangent of it. But ultimately, my, you know, I think I like where we are now. Yeah, it's funny that how you started to answer that, because, do you know, Robin Brailsford. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I just did Robin and Wick. Um, I interviewed them. And I think it was her who said, I wouldn't want to go back. She said, because women weren't appreciated. Mm-hmm. She said, yeah. so I'll stay here now. Yeah. When I, and you know, I, I wouldn't think of that. Yeah, I, that is, you know, the undertones of that, right? Like, is what I was thinking. The minimalism was like very much a male-dominated certain way of making, certain way of thinking field, and just as like land art. So, so yeah, when I got here, the last solo female show that was at the Barrack was in the 80s, early 80s. And 
when I was able to, when my predecessor left to, to get another job, I was interim for a while. And the first thing I did was have a solo female show. And that was by Tamar Atune. Oh, okay. And I wanted her to uh, fill the space. I knew she could. Um, with limited budget, that's a challenge. She does inflatables. She uses hot air balloon material and inflates them with a fan. And our ceilings, you know, go up, I don't know, 30 feet or something. Yeah, they're pretty um, tall. And the sculptures filled the entire room so much that you could go inside of them and stand in these these uh, like inverted bouncy houses, right, that would su- surround you with color. There was a yellow, orange, pink, and a blue one. And that was very popular. Oh, how neat. Yeah, so I was proud to do that. And I feel that I've, I've also worked very hard to be mindful of, of who is invited uh, to, to show at the museum and, you know, to get multiple voices. And we started, we started partnering with the Women of Color Arts Festival and everything in the center gallery would be made by women of color. And we would partner with outside uh, collectives like Gulch, and they were looking at Latinx and indigenous artists. And they took over the, the West Gallery for a year. So those, those things started happening. And there's so much more to do. When I think about these things, I'm like, oh, gosh, there's so much more to do. I'm sure, but you're still a youngster. you got plenty of time. <laughs> I think I have time. And, you know, it's, it's one, one day at a time. And also just make plan- planning and, and making sure to check in with the team and our community. Ask them what they want to see. And who they want to see in the museum. And you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always I say, my door is open. You can call me anytime, right? I have my personal cell on, on my business card. And I often will describe this museum and the collection as like your museum. We hold the collection in for the public and the public's trust. Yes, very good. And so if you want to see something from our collection... We might not be able to pull it out just like that because we're a small team, but we can we can make sure that you have access to the work, all the files and and history of wh- when it was showed, how it was donated, things like that. And we have it e- even. I'm so excited to say that we even have an online database where you can see the collection as well. Okay, that's right. Yeah, because Kim with her um, Spirit of the Land, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's online, and I've I've seen that online. Yeah, all and the actually, traveling. Actually, I went out. Yeah. To, I went out to Orange Coast College after it was here, and I didn't know it. I could have come here. I drove all the way out there. Isn't that incredible that that now of May, right? Yes, we were so happy. The yeah. Other day. National Monument. One of the a big experiences I had with our current co-curator Hikmet Lowe was flying over that area in a what is it called the six-person plane? There's a Cessna. Probably. I don't know. I had never been in a plane that small, and we flew over the area to see. I don't. I guess I like they invited me because I'm the director <laughs> and I would be working on this project but boy did that change how I saw the landscape and and how important it is to to preserve it our guide was Alan O'Neill um, okay yeah I've met him yeah he was fantastic and you know he just was rolling off all these facts while we're in the plane with headphones like the ones I'm wearing now <laughs> and he would say like as things warm up in the desert the plants and animals, right, will need to move up in elevation. Well, if this area is not safe and preserved, then it just stops, say, like when there's a wind farm or something like that. And so there's nowhere for the tortoises or the Joshua trees to go. And if there's nowhere for them to go to be cooler, then they die, right? And it doesn't matter if it's preserved over to the right or the left. And we were flying over that, and it just really hit me how impactful this can be over time. I didn't know that Nevada had grasslands. We could see the little tip tops of them. It, it was an incredible experience. Hikmet asked me, how would you describe this landscape? Is it barren? And I said, oh, no way. We can't say that. It's not a place of nothing. <laughs> but that's what our all of our relatives back east think that it is. Yeah, I thought, well, before I came out here, I thought it was a dry, flat place. There's so many, it's like teeming with life. There's so many details. The plants and organisms that live out here are incredible. 
things. And, and they haven't yeah. even been studied. So we don't even know all the plants and organisms that live out here. And it's such an incredible place. I think of where we could go, like Mount Charleston, what's up there, you know, going out towards the Mystery Ranch and Searchlight. It's just so wonderful. Yeah. To- so you've been to Kim's yes. ranch? Yes, that ranch is wonderful. What a great place. I always feel so creative out there, and it, it's a great place to clear my mind. I know that I'm not the only one that feels that way. It's wonderful to see how the sun comes up and lights all the barrel cactus. <laughs> and then as the, the sun moves, you know, all the shapes in the desert change. Um, and, and can you imagine what that would have looked like had they built the wind farm there? Because that's what I've been meaning to do. I've been meaning to go. I haven't been at the right time of day. I want to take pictures mm. and then I want to Photoshop in a wind farm. Yeah, that where they were going to put it is right in the middle of where the bighorn sheep, they travel across one area. They go down into a, a valley where the wind farm would be and go up another area and that would block their migration. It's an incredible place if, yeah, if, if people haven't learned about the Mystery Ranch, uh, they should look it up. It's run by artists. Uh, their team is called United Catalyst. And they, they have a one-room cabin that was Kim's um, grandfather's. They have like a little pool that naturally has water in it, and it, it waters many of the plants and the animals from all over. They have a, a camera there that snaps pictures of all kinds of stuff from a badger, you know, yeah. to, to birds, coyotes. It's yeah, we incredible. Have, we're, we're here with the Kim Garrison Means fan club. Yeah, total fan. <laughs> total fan. And, you know, when we had Spirit of the Land here, right, I, I just could, I saw how powerful the art community was to pull people together to write this love letter and raise awareness about the area. We had the Fort Mojave tribe in here. There was a performance or, you know, they were they were dancing and we had their pieces, their sacred pieces, you know, just from all, all different walks of life. And you know, we knew, we, we hoped, and we, we just had to believe that this place would become a monument. And when we heard, or at least when I heard, I was like, you know, I played a very small part in that by hosting Spirit of the Land here and, and it, you know, it traveling to the little community centers and the libraries. So I'm really proud of that show. As well you should be. Kim Garrison, Michaela Whitmore, and Checo Salgado, who curated it and wrangled the artist and put it together my um our graphic designer and exhibition designer did some amazing things you know to help tell the story you know how do you put together a show that has many different media (laughs) many different artists we don't really know what the artists are gonna you know put in the show how do you unify that chloe bernardo is is our designer and she was brilliant with the way we painted the walls and the way we spoke about the map christmas tree pass it was it was a beautiful show every show's different keeping you away from because you have to do a speech tonight. I think I'm just going to say thank you and acknowledge the artist and the curators and the team just very briefly. The stars of the show are the artist, right? There's a poet coming to read tonight. Miss A.V. I can't wait to see that one. Um, Yeah, she can hold a room and she's made a new piece in response to that visit to Jean Dry Lake Bed. The idea of like creating new content, new, new poetry, new art, works of art. It's, I, I think it's really bold and daring for artists to do that. And frankly, for a museum to sort of let that happen, some places will just like pick traveling shows, right? There's that formula. This comes to our space. We change the walls and we change a little bit about it, but you know what you're going to get. No, you're making your own shows. Yeah, new knowledge. Relevant. Right. To where we live. Relevant to where we live and relevant to the rest of the, the world. 
we want to start traveling the shows and we've had people across museums across the country express interest. Um, so we'll get there. We'll get there. But the stories told in Nevada are definitely relevant elsewhere. It's just so fun to, to make that new knowledge rather than just plug and play. Well, Alicia, thank you very much. But I do have one more question. Sure. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. The only thing that I need to be available for is the quick, fast tour that the curators are going to give to the staff. We want to make sure we represent the show well. What has inspired you this week? Oh, I like that. What has inspired me this week? This week has been um, one-on-one meetings with my team. We started doing that weekly to improve communication as the museum train is speeding along. Sometimes things get get lost. Um, so I got to meet with each of them. They're like their own departments, writing, editing, design, collections, exhibitions, programming. They've really inspired me. MJ in particular, who is our student worker in their last year of the BFA, MJ is incredibly spatially aware and had some ad- advice on how we could make our space work well and work for us, how we can organize our desks, just simple things like that. And I was so happy. It's so wonderful when you have someone come in who's never really, or who hasn't been in the museum for 10 years and they see something. And I was inspired to like move things around and give my team a place to be quiet, like a study for research and for us to have a collaborative space because that's how we work. (laughs) I guess that's kind of weird, but MJ inspired me with their optimism and creativity when it came to -to day-to-day functionality. And their work is, I'm also serving on their committee for their BFA, and they are doing incredibly ambitious work. And so, in general, MJ, I'll say MJ. Oh, no, and now I should have mentioned something else, too. You can can have two things. I can? Oh, I went to... You can, you can have three things if you oh, want. Oh, gosh. You know, I went blank, and I was like, I'm, why can't I say anything? Um, but now I can think of a million things. I went to a graduate student's studio. It's in a The studio building is in an old Carl's Jr. drive through on, on Maryland Parkway, and it's been turned into studios. It still has the drive through window, though. It's hilarious. Walked over there and met with Katie B. Funk, a a um, graduate student, and I was so inspired. I could relate to it. We connected right away. I understood the language and the rhythm and the materials. It was such an incredibly inspiring visit that I wanted to make art, and I wanted to come back and, and, and talk to her. And so there's an example of how art can connect people, right? Yeah, really. I was there. I didn't want to leave. It was it was an incredible and personal. There was a lot of personal work in her studio. It was bright and sort of funky, sort of wobbly. She said that her style is called crunch. It's sort of crunchy and and wobbly at the same time. <laughs> and I could identify with that. So it spanned across painting, sculpture, cursive writing, a pie menu at a restaurant that she used to work at. And one of the characters in her past who said mean things to her while she was working at yesterday's diner, there was a portrait of that person. And I don't know, we talked a lot. The conversation went everywhere. Katie's work inspired me. Katie said, I'm interested in cursive writing. And it was like, I looked around and there was cursive writing, literally, And then there was like paper chains, which also are like cursive writing, right? Everything is linked together. And as I went through the studio, I saw that over and over again. Train tracks could be braces, like in your mouth, you know? And my mind, like when I see those sorts of things, my mind comes alive. And that's really what got me so excited. And when, you know, you said you like to talk to artists and hear their stories, when I heard Katie, sometimes you, you hear them talk and you're like, maybe you don't get more. But when I heard Katie talk about where the work came from, I loved it even more. Even though like teaching and doing studio visits isn't part of my job description as the director, I love doing those. Um, It keeps me connected um, to that part of who I am. I love going to their studios. Oh, I thought of another inspiring thing. Can I do one more? You said I could do three. You can do all you want. Okay. We got till what, five o'clock? Well, then you're going to have to edit all this stuff. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so one of the most inspiring things this week, another one is someone I met named Brandon Harris, who came to me, who wanted to talk about curation and what it took to become a, a director. 
Well, we had some coffee, we talked, and I just was so impressed by Brandon's ideas around art and really the values that he holds, what he wants to do with art. He wants to go into curation and he, ne he needs a master's degree. He wants to work at a museum. And so we, we talked and I helped, I helped him with his resume, his application. I wrote a recommendation um, and he applied to some top schools and he got into every single one of them. And we heard uh, this week that he got into Bard. I'm so excited. I hope to see him tonight. If he's in the audience, I'll call out, you know, that there's a, there's a curator here if you want to talk to him. Bard is highly selective, Parsons, and Micah. So he has to make a very hard decision. <laughs> but what a great thing, though. Yeah, you hard know. decisions are good, aren't they? And well, you've had three wins this week. I just love that. Two wins, two wins. Yeah. Maybe three. Yeah, I just love, I just love that, you know, he came to me and told me about what he wants to do in art and what voices he hopes to elevate and how he talks to art artists. And I remember when he, we had talked for a while and I said, come, come to this thing over at New Woo Art. Oh, if you haven't talked to Fawn Douglas, you should. I know Fawn. Um, oh. Fawn and I were on the board of directors together. Oh, wow. Friends of Gold Butte. Have you been to, to New Art? The sure. whole huge complex now and with a, Although she, I haven't a gallery. A I gallery. Haven't, I bet I haven't talked to Fawn in two years. Fawn's been busy. Fawn has a gallery, huge gallery that was a, that's in an old synagogue on Maryland Parkway. Is just, it really? Okay. Just a few steps down from... Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art. And she has a whole thing going on this weekend. Oh, I took, I, I said, Brandon, there's a big opening of Justin Favela's work. He's, he's like a very big artist nationally and is a bit of a hometown hero, very generous. And I said, you could come to the opening. I'll introduce you to some people. And Brandon was really excited. And he said, what should I wear? And that, that clued me into the fact that I, I, I tasted just a little bit of imposter syndrome and fear and nervousness around this. And um, I just wanted to push him into the water, just like, you're going to be great. You're going to be fine. Um, so for to do that, to bring him, to introduce him to the community, that is incredibly welcoming. And then fast forward a couple months, he's, he's going to be going to some school, uh, Micah or Bard or Parsons. I'm just so happy. I'm so happy that that has happened. And who knows, maybe we'll work with him in the future. So I'll let you go now. I, you've been trying to let me go for a while. I, I told you I could talk forever. So. I, I lose track of time always. Always. I could talk about art all day. Change your heart. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Everybody's gotta learn sometime. Everybody's gotta learn sometime.